Hey, I'm Gina Keeping, ex-classroom teacher turned mindset and business mentor. Not too long ago, overwhelm and stress was my norm. Now, I have created a life where I help entrepreneurial women create an unstoppable mindset and teach them how to grow and scale their own businesses, all while getting their own gifts out to the world and creating an impact. Welcome to the Keeping It Real podcast, where each week I bring you an inspiring person or message where we talk about all things life and business related, where our conversations are real, the information is inspiring, we have a splash of fun, we have lots of laughs, and we dive into life lessons and deep conversations about all of the things. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Keeping It Real podcast. Today, I have an amazing woman on the show. Welcome to the show, Anna Murphy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. We only met briefly once and I was like, "Mm -hmm, I need to get her on the podcast. (laughs) So I'm going to do a little quick. Oh, good. I'm going to do a quick little intro and then we're going to dive right in. So. For those of you who don't know Anna, she is an incredible woman and she is the type of person that when you meet her, you instantly know she's one of the good ones. She legit lights up the room and is doing incredible things, not only in the entrepreneurial world, but also she's paving the way for resilience, confidence, and just being her true authentic self. So I'm so excited to have you here, Anna. And even though I just scratched the surface, can you just take a moment and introduce yourself and a little bit about your story? maybe the catalyst that brought you to the entrepreneurial world and whatever else you want to share. (laughs) Sure. So I grew up in the city, St. John's with my mom, dad, and my brother. I played lots of sports growing up. I debated nationally, sang choir, and I was always really involved and a bit of a A plus goody two shoes kind of student to get the vibe. Um, after I graduated high school, I went right into MUN to do business because that's what some guy told me in my high school cafeteria that I should do. Uh, but while I was in MUN, I worked in clinical research as a research coordinator in cardiac and diabetic trials because I wanted to go to med school. What? And I worked there. Yeah, I worked there the entire time I was in MUN. I did most of my courses online so that I could work full-time in research as a little, I don't know, I was only 18 at the time and I would travel for medical research conferences on behalf of our clinic. It was a big job. Um, So I was all set to go to med school. I was so excited. And I thought that that was kind of what I was supposed to do. um, Because of course I was an A plus student. That's what I was supposed to do. And my partner who I'm still with, Chad, we were living together at the time and he said to me, um, babe, you know, I'm, I want to support your dreams. He's so supportive. He's like, I just kind of wanted to point out that you come home from work every day and you cry a lot. <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh, you're right. I didn't realize it was so much, but I, I do cry a lot, don't I? <laughs> and uh, that next day, I applied for art schools all across the country and just like abandoned med school and just was like, I've always been creative. This sounds like something that I would really want to do. I'm not interested in being unhappy for the rest of my life. Um, And not that it's not an amazing career path. It just wasn't for me. So I applied to art schools and I also applied to the textile craft and apparel design program at the College of the North Atlantic. And I got in, I 
got in a couple of places, but I wasn't sure I wanted to move across the country without my partner. Um, and I also wasn't sure if I was mature enough to go by myself, which was a pretty mature decision to come to. So probably I would have, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hindsight is 2020. So I went to the craft and apparel design program at the College of the North Atlantic. And I learned about uh, craft in Newfoundland and Labrador and dyeing fabric and knitting and weaving. And I also learned more about business and developing a handmade craft business in Newfoundland and Labrador. And when I graduated, I moved into the Kitty Vitty Village plantation and my business was born. I just thought, this sounds like a nice next step. I'll go hang out with my friends in studios down there. And that's really where Yellow Rose started to come to life and where I started to learn how to be an entrepreneur and made lots of mistakes. I continue to make lots of mistakes, but I'm doing better now than I was before. And then when I left there, I opened a natural dye studio in Bonavista. And I stayed in Bonavista for almost three years and had a dye studio where I dyed clothing and accessories with insects, roots, plants, and wood. That is incredible. I did not know <laughs> half of that about you. That's incredible. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to kind of dive in there. So I got to go back to Chad. Holy moly. What an incredible partner. Oh my gosh. I cannot speak more highly of anyone in my life. He is, we are absolutely the opposites. He's from Fogo Island. He is introverted and soft and sweet and so considerate. And I am often like the bulldozer uh, human uh, in a good way, but still I'm, you know, a different personality. And he is always there to kind of have a sensible, settled conversation with me before I make all of these big plans and moves and go to art school and move to Bonavista on like a complete whim without having ever been there. Um, I, yeah, I'm so lucky to have him. <laughs> wow. But how cool. I mean, because the, the career path that you were originally on, I mean, you were set up, you know, it was a good career path. So, you know, for your partner to recognize that and also encourage you to take care of yourself over the expectation that's placed on you in terms of a career, like that's really progressive in my opinion. And talk about support. So can we dive into that piece a little bit more? So once you had that conversation, you said the very next day you started making changes. Yeah, I, it was almost like somebody just lifted the rose colored sunglasses off of my face. And I sat at, in my office at the medical clinic and it was a great job. I loved the people that I worked with. It's just, I felt the demand to meet expectations in an industry that always felt like I was uh, having to cover my butt. And I guess right. maybe other people in healthcare would feel the same way, but a very rewarding career, but it just wasn't for me. So I started to get my portfolio together and look at maybe what type of art I would like to make. Everything seemed very hobby at the beginning. And I went from there and just started applying to art schools. I love that. So I always like to take the lessons and try to apply them for our listeners. So I guarantee you there are people who are listening who are definitely in a job that they're not happy with or definitely in a situation where they're like, I know I need to change something. Somebody might've pointed out that I'm crying all the time or maybe I've noticed it myself. What would you say? 
is the first step that they can take to really start changing the direction of their life? Well, the first thing that I just want to recognize is that I certainly was in a place of privilege financially where I did have a partner to support me to go through school. Um, And I had had a savings there, which was important and very valuable in making this decision. Um, But I think through my entire life and something that probably we'll speak about a little bit later is that I have never in my adult life allowed myself to compromise on my happiness ever because when I was even I know when you're a teenager you're so emotional you have your hormones and everything is happening at once and it just seems like you are a sad rain cloud all the time or it certainly felt like I was a sad rain cloud all the time and I my grandfather was um, big into politics when I was all growing up and when I started debating it felt like a lot of pressure from my family to create a career that would lead to politics eventually, just based on my personality. Um, So I had all of these pressures coming at me, but when I sat silently by myself or with Chad, it was clear that none of these pressures had anything to do with me. My personality that would make me good for jobs in the future is my personality, whether I'm sitting in a medical professional role or if I'm sitting in an art career role. And I think you can make changes in your life. They don't have to be as dramatic as quitting your job and going to art school. (laughs) That I recognize is not something everyone can do. But because I have done that, I have kind of forged a path for myself where I have a financial situation that is very positive and just as positive as that, as I probably would have had. But also I am so happy and I have all these amazing connections and people in my life that are genuine, authentic relationships that I would not have built if I was sad rain cloud still working in research. You know, I owe it to myself to do it. Oh, I love that. And I one of the things that you said that I think we could even go a little bit deeper on, and I think it's just so important to re-highlight is the fact of sitting with yourself. And just because you're good at something, that doesn't mean that has to be your path, you know? So you were probably really good at that job. And I I've heard this from a lot of people. Well, you were a fantastic teacher, but like there are other ways, like you said, that you can apply all of the qualities that you have into something that's going to bring you a little, little bit more happiness. So I do think that's a great step of just really sitting with yourself and going, okay, what do I want? What's going to make me happy? And I feel we don't do that as a society very often. Absolutely. And I think that um, having to just figure out how to make things work all through school, art school, which is very expensive for materials. We just made it work. We made it happen. And that mindset is something that has allowed my business to keep going through all of these difficult times. I am just the person who picks up and figures it out. And I'll just keep figuring it out day by day. And it has, it has worked. But that's a great lesson because I feel sometimes when we just get the job that we're, quote, supposed to get, we don't get the opportunity to practice that muscle of really handling the things that come at you like you do as a entrepreneur. Like it's a totally different ride. So. I do think, and I don't know if you're familiar with Marie Forleo, she has a book called Everything is Figure Outable. And I try to remind myself of those things when things don't go as planned. But I do think that's a great, great thing for you to to really hammer home there is that, yeah, we got to be able to handle the punches as we go. And that's how we navigate life. So thank you for sharing that with me. 
So, oh my goodness, there's so many things I want to dive into with you. I don't even know which one to go next, but I think I want to end with the confidence piece. So, all right. You had to go through a very challenging time. Um, And I know you said everything is open and I would love for you to share because I guarantee you there are some people who are listening who have been through a similar traumatic experience that you have been through. Would you mind sharing that part of your journey? And then we can kind of dive into it a little bit deeper at the end. Sure. So just to kind of set the scene before we get right into it, um, a week before I moved to Bonavista, my, so all of my stuff was in Bonavista. I just physically wasn't there yet. My dad was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Um, so while I was in Bonavista, I was traveling back and forth to help my mom and dad through his cancer journey that we're still, we're still walking through today. Um, so about a couple of years into Bonavista, I, um, was in town for a wedding with my family and I was on my way home and I was, uh, sexually assaulted by a cab driver in St. John's, um, So at the time, my life was chaotic. Chad was working in Alberta. My dad was sick. I was living alone in Bonavista for the most part. And this this big crushing event happened in my life. Um, But the thing that nobody really tells you about sexual assault is that frequently, and I'm not an expert or healthcare professional, but I have been told by countless professionals that people who experience um, a violent sexual assault, particularly, often do not process or even begin to recognize their attack for uh, up to a year after it happened. Um, and I mean, I, I, almost, I almost died that night, and it was something that I have really and truly had to work through every single day since it happened. It happened three years ago, December past. And some days that wound is just as fresh as the a year after it happened. Because you know uh, that I was in just pro I was just a programmed robot for the first eleven to twelve months after the incident because I had so much going on. I never had the opportunity to stop. Um, and my hair was falling out. I was losing all this weight. Everyone kept telling me I looked so beautiful because I'd lost all this weight. This is just a small key not to tell people they look so beautiful when they've lost weight or gained weight because you don't know what's going on in their life. Um, But just that entire experience changed me in like a DNA level of who I was as a person. And I had to learn how to pick up and continue on um, because I had a business. And I had a partner and I had a family who needed me for care. And I had all these friends and organizations that I loved to give time to. And I didn't want to lose myself in the process of trying to get better. I can't even wrap my head around what that experience must have been like and how you navigate it and how you continue to navigate it today. Like. Number one, my first question is, did you have support when this happened? Did you keep it to yourself? Did you hide it? Or was there shame around it? I did not tell a single soul for almost a year after it happened. And the only reason I actually told anybody is because 
I was coming to terms with it and I wanted to speak about it, but I wasn't sure how to tell people. I didn't want my family to feel like it was uh, their fault that I hadn't reached out because of illness, because that wasn't true. That wasn't the reason. I didn't want my partner or my brother or my best friends to feel like they didn't make themselves available to speak to me because that wasn't true either. I signed up to be a speaker at Pecha Kucha. Uh, a speaking engagement that happens around the world. It's like a six minute TED talk, basically. And you share images of this one was about art. And I shared images of art that I had created in relation to my sexual assault. And I was going to get up on the stage and talk about my experience and how it had shaped my art. But I hadn't told anyone that it had happened to me. So that was like the kick in the ass for me to tell anyone. And at this point, I had been to um, two resources that were just absolutely so important in my recovery, not recovery, but helping me in my journey with my trauma. One was Doorways, which is in St. John's, which offers walk-in mental health crisis um, conversations with professionals and also um, peer counseling. And also the sexual assault crisis and prevention center has a warm line that you can call. And those were the people that I spoke to. Those were the resources that I availed of because I didn't want to use my health insurance. I wouldn't want anyone to know why I was going. And I kept that to myself, but it came to a point where I wasn't able to do it alone anymore. Um, yeah, it just, uh, I didn't want to live in what I was living in anymore. I had to reach out to people. And once I told people, now all I have to say to my partner is, I'm just having a really bad day today, or I'm not feeling very well. And he knows exactly what that means because I've had, um, uh, I have PTSD from the incident. So some things that seem so small to some people, like uh, someone beating on my door, like an unexpected delivery or something can really put me in a little like crying space even now. And I work so hard on myself to, to take the most out of every day and to move on from it. But it's something that doesn't leave you. And um, a counselor said to me, and I feel like this is important for people in general who deal with grief of any kind, is that um, through the years after the incidents or through losing somebody, your grief is like a tennis ball in a box. And when you first put the tennis ball in the box, it's beating off the walls. And every time it hits the walls, it hurts you. That's your grief. But over the years, your, the walls get further apart and the box gets bigger. So the ball doesn't hit as often, but it still hurts just as much when it hits. So Ooh. my box is getting bigger every year. And I'm so grateful for that box to be getting bigger, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. I am so sorry you had to go through that. I just want to give you the biggest hug right now. So <laughs> the next time I see you, just expect it. <laughs> I look forward to it. That's a promise. <laughs> um, and my goodness, how brave. And I'm getting emotional because I can't imagine, number one, having that happen to you. But I guess in a way, your art also saved you in a way of telling a story that you weren't able to tell. And I just have this vision of you getting on that stage and just taking your power back. And that's really powerful. Whew, okay. 
I wasn't expecting to cry. We were talking about you crying, not me. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So for anybody who might be listening to this and have been through something similar and where you waited a year, what advice would you give somebody who maybe are still in the waiting phase and don't know if they should open up about it? Do you have any advice for that person who might be listening? My advice is secondhand advice. And this came from somebody who I was speaking to about my experience. And I had said, um, you know, I don't want to go to, there are lots of meetings that people can go to and speak to this in a group setting. And I said, I don't want to take the chair of somebody who might need it more than me. And they said to me, I wrote it down. Why are you less valuable than the people you love? Because if it was somebody that you love, it was your mom or your sister or your best friend, you would not, you would not accept that answer from them because they are valuable and they deserve care and you deserve care. And anyone who's listening, you deserve to access care, to bring you to a place where you can continue living. And I don't ever want anyone to feel like their life is not worth living or damaged from an incident like that, because it's just not true. You know, they still have so much left inside of them to give. And um, that that is my biggest thing. And if not everybody has people like I do in my life to reach out to girlfriends and amazing family and partner. And I I do say that, you know, reach out to me. Reach out to people in your life that are even on social media that are talking about this because um, they can give you the resources or they can just be someone to listen, which is sometimes all you need. Because not everybody in your life understands uh, how to interact with you after you talk about this, which is really hard. Um, it's like that sad pity face a little bit, you know, that people yeah. give at funeral homes. <laughs> and um I, which is okay. It's okay to not know how to talk to people about it because why should you know? Yeah. If you haven't been through it, it's, it's really hard to understand that. Um, and I don't know why we do that as humans. And I think more particularly as women, we devalue ourselves and think that we're not worthy. And I'm so glad that you brought that up and just to hit that home, like you are worth it. You are worthy of going and, and talking about this. And my question to you there is, did you have that worthiness piece before the assault or do you think that the assault really, I guess, made it bigger? And maybe as you were ruminating on it, you let like that assault made you believe that you weren't worthy or is that too deep of a question? No, I, I think that I have had a long battle with self-worth and confidence in my life. Like I think everybody has in some way. And um, I was talking to my partner about this last night, just where I think my confidence has come from. And I remember being in my early 20s and sitting on my floor in my basement apartment in that like mountain of clothes because nothing fits and nothing looks good and crying and crying and just being so fed up and just thinking like every in my life. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I always felt like I didn't want to get behind and I wanted to do well. And I wanted to be that A plus person in my life, but I was allowing myself to behave like this and treat my body and my confidence so poorly. How dare I, you know, underestimate myself in this one challenge that I really need to take on. Um, and from that 
time. I just faked it till I recognized that it was true. And that I looked in the mirror and I was like, yes, girl, you are doing it. You are making it happen. And I think that that was really important because I had the ability to verbalize my assault, verbalize my feelings because I had worked on that through the years. And I was confident enough enough in other aspects of my life that it allowed me to feel self-worth and remind myself of that self-worth, even if I questioned it. Because that's the thing about confidence that I think people sometimes don't always talk about is that it's not that I stand in the mirror at my naked body and I'm like, this is full. There is nothing I would work on or change. I am absolutely perfect. Like everybody sees those things in the mirror that maybe they wish they weren't there, but it's like taking that body out and still knowing it's great and beautiful and valuable and taking that mind out and knowing you still have to work on it. Right. And that's, that was what helped me see that value and continue to work on it. Cause I wanted her back. Ooh, yes. And I think, you know, any, every single person listening to this, um, any, any, not just a woman, but uh, anybody who listens, I think confidence is something that we all need to work on. You know, it's all something, it's something that we just need to continue to tap into and recognize that regardless of what you see in the mirror, like you're you're freaking incredible, you know, and it's owning that from the inside out. And once again, I know that sounds like a cliche, but it really is, is like owning the things that make you, you. And then that translates to the exterior, you know? Absolutely. And that is why when I wasn't feeling confident or when I'm not feeling confident, that's when I lean on things like an activity that makes me feel really strong, like going for a run and just feeling so strong and powerful at the end and thinking I can do this. Look up what my body just gave me. Or if I don't really, I always used to hate my legs, but I kind of liked the way my shoulders looked. So I would dress my shoulder. I would dress for my shoulders and then the rest would come after. Um, and, you know, using those activities and things that I loved in my life to help me fake it until I got there. Absolutely. And I had to bring it up because the first time I met you, we talked a lot. But one of the things you told me about was dance. And for the, for those people who don't know me, I'm a jock. I've, I've not danced. <laughs> I'm a football player. I'm a hockey player. I'm a, in Taekwondo martial, martial arts. And the way you described dance, I was like, wow. And you so confidently talked about it. And I was like, I need to give this a try because I'll just paint a picture as well. Just a quick one. But ever since I've gotten sick, um, my body hasn't been what it used to be. So, you know, it's it's hard because sometimes I do judge myself. And when you said this to me and you were talking about dance, like I intuitively knew that I had to do this. So. For me, you giving me that opportunity and you being confident in yourself and telling me about this and talking about the space where I could go and learn to love my body a little more. I can't tell you what it's done for me. And it's so funny. Yesterday, I did another thing that was uncomfortable. I had to go buy my fishnet stockings. Ah, yes. <laughs> Even the conversation with the man who sells them. <laughs> Well, nobody told me it was a man. I was like, I'm going to go in and, and that woman's going to take care of me because she knows my pain. I go in and two lovely men, they're lovely. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Um, I need fishnet stockings. Well, what kind of ask me other questions? I'm like, 
I don't know. I don't know. And then okay, he said, are they for your daughter? I'm like, nope, they're for me. It was almost like he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I got them. It was very uncomfortable. I learned something new about myself. But I think too, like the art of trying different things and through that, that art of getting yourself your comfort zone, you just learn things about yourself. And then even those things make you confident. And that translates to all parts of being confident. Absolutely. And I am constantly looking at things that make me feel awkward or weird. And even now at dance, I am two years into my amazing dance journey with Arch Method. And if I have days when I'm looking at myself in the mirror dancing, and I'm thinking like, oh God, like what's going on with my arm? Or that is a little bell for me to be like, okay, why are you feeling like that? Like what is, what's going on today that's making you feel uncomfortable about this arm that you've looked at in the mirror for four hours a week for two years what's going on today and it's like a little note to continue working on myself and being aware of things that are going on in your brain because that's so important like this is a lifetime journey I always want to be learning about myself and improving and becoming the best version that I can be and it's from being uncomfortable it really is those small journeys yeah absolutely And it's funny that you said that, because I think a lot of times when, you know, we feel flaws or we can catch those flaws, I think society has kind of touched, you know, taught us to sweep it under a rug and not look at it. But I'm all about like looking at it. Like, why? Why am I beating myself up today? Like what happened? And usually it's nothing to do with the arm. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. like something deeply seated that you're like, oh, that happened. And I really like that redirection that you said. It was if you're picking something out that you don't like focus on something that you do. Like I, for me, my eyes, I feel are one of my best features. So if I catch myself, you know, critiquing my nose that I got from my dad, I'll go, well, Hey, let's focus on my eyes. (laughs) Absolutely. And also how blessed are we to have our parents' faces right on us for, you know, years after when they're not here with us, we can look at ourselves and be reminded of them, which is so nice. Exactly. And my dad has passed away now almost 10 years. I can't believe it. So I see my dad every day and I have my mom's eye, so I can't run. (laughs) (laughs) It's so nice. (laughs) But I really love how, and I'd like to kind of tie some of these things together because you know you just you're such an incredible woman and I hope you really really know that because of so many reasons but like you're an entrepreneur every single day you show up and you're changing lives based on so many things but even just the gift of your art you go through this life-changing traumatic event and yet today you show up confidently and you have a mission to just live your best life I would love to to talk a little bit more about that in between, because I guarantee you, once again, there are listeners who may be in the thick of something or maybe don't know how to find that joy and that happiness because the cloud of what they've been through has been so heavy. Can we talk about that transition of how, even though you've had so many challenges and you've had some really terrible things happen, How do you live with so much joy and confidence and happiness and have a true like compass of just having as much fun and adventure as possible? And I love that about you, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, I think that I am just not willing to live an ordinary life. And maybe that comes from that pressure of doing well when I'm little and thinking about how I have to live this extraordinary life. And all these people around me have expectations for me to do that. But the exciting thing is that I now have those expectations for myself. And I 
have come to realize that even I have been so fortunate, I've gotten to travel with the Rose of Chile and I have debated nationally and run half marathons and traveled. And But even though all of these big, exciting adventures and milestones are ticking away, I've realized that that is not what makes up my life. What makes up my life is the day today. It's the getting up in the morning and, and really enjoying that coffee and putting on, you know, the Bee Gees or something when I get out of bed to set my vibe for the day and getting dressed and getting dressed for me. I am that person who has lipstick all under her mask. And it's because I'm not wearing my lipstick for you or for anybody else. It's for me. And I feel so good. And also creating a day, even though I am probably working like 80 hours a week, I'm creating time for dance and for running and for special moments with my partner and small adventures. And I think that earlier I was kind of reflecting on that and thinking about how when I was small, um, you know, we certainly grew up in like probably a lower middle class family. So we didn't have lots of money. We didn't vacation away, but we were comfortable. And my mom and dad always did things that stand out to me as so valuable and they were not really that big of a deal in the great big grand scheme of things um i remember so clearly my mom taking my brother and i down to boring park and we would have picnics and she would do this in the winter or the summer the spring whenever we would just get dressed up because it grew up just on the back of boring park and she would have a thermos full of hot dog wieners and buns and like whatever old cookies were in there, maybe a Ziploc baggie of chippies or carrots or something and a big old jug of freshie. And we would just like have this special picnic underneath the willow tree in Boring Park. And I mean, if you think about that, that is my mom was taking stuff she had and she was creating these special days for us. And it was moments like that that were small but intimate and showed so much care and love for us that I remember. And those activities, that little special extra going, giving to my partner, giving to myself, and just giving to my day is what has shaped my life. And those are the things that make me feel joy for living and look forward to the Monday to Friday. You know, it's not about those big trips and big awards or anything like that. Like none of that really matters in the grand scheme of things. But I think that's how I keep it. I keep it happy and light when even the work is so heavy sometimes, you know. I love that. And, it, you know, there's so much truth in that, because I think somewhere along the way, we've got things so messed up in the fact that it's like all the big shiny things. And it's not it, it's these moments, it's connection, it's memories, it's the taking the time to be present. And I think sometimes we forget those things. And that's what it's all about. And I love that you are intentional and you bring that into your day, because I truly believe that's where fulfillment comes from. You know, Absolutely. And, and what you said about your coffee, like my morning coffee, picking my pottery mug, like mm -hmm. I do the same thing every morning, but it brings me so much joy picking my playlist as I get ready to do my morning routine. Like, I think we need to remember to find the joy in the small moments that we do daily and not keep reaching for that. Oh, I'm going to work. And then I'm going to go for that one trip of the year. And that's going to make me happy. But then we fall back into it. As soon as we get back, I'm not being happy. That's not happiness. That's a once in a, in a year kind of trying to put a bandaid on it. And I love that you brought that up because I'm with you every step of the way. I try to make, you know, silly moments. My husband and I have water fights, like, 
there's mm-hmm. nothing for him to come home and the Nerf gun is there. You have 30 seconds to run. Like <laughs> we do all the fun, silly things like Snowmageddon. We were the people on the news with the giant snow report. <laughs> we're two grown ass adults, but we love to have fun. Right. And I just think that is so important. And I think sometimes, and I'm just going to do like success because that seems to be the thing that drives people. But I think sometimes we think that having all the accolades, doing all the things, the awards, like that's going to make us happy. And then when you arrive there and you have them, you realize that's not the thing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, it's not to say that I don't have you know, big goals for my business Mm. or sales goals every month and that I'm pleased to meet or, you know, trying to figure out when I don't meet, but I'm trying, I spend so much time curating like my closet and people spend time curating their list of things that they want to have their big house, their family, their whatever. But, um, I think it's just as important to curate all of those small moments uh, in the combination of your day. And also when things don't go your way, be able to figure out how to boost back from that and enjoy those small things because financially not everybody can meet those big milestones with trips and weddings and things like that. Um, And my partner and I, I am unable to have children. So I think that that has been something else. Um, We've decided we're not going to have children, but finding joy in other ways and big adventures and activities through our everyday is something how we're going to keep our life full through the years as well. You know, Oh, that is so beautiful. I, I love that. And I, and I do love how you said you have both, you do have big, hairy, scary goals. Cause I do think they're important mm-hmm. too. I do too, but it's not the determining factor. And I think as we navigate life, if we only focus on that end result and we only focus on that thing, that when it doesn't happen, if we don't have the small things that are fulfilling us along the way, those big blows can be devastating and life altering. And, you know, they can really shake you. But if you have a good foundation, which is what I think the dailies are and the things that you do to make you smile and happy when things don't go right, it's not the end of the world. It's like, like you said, I'm going to figure it out. Right. So that's that's so beautiful. Um, I do want to ask you a question. Um, You've been through a lot like you have talked to a lot of people. You have been through a lot. What has been the best advice you have ever received from somebody? Oh, gosh, this is so clear in my mind. There's only one one option. Um, I remember I was on my way home from visiting my dad at the hospital. Um, This was like right in the thick of it all. It was a really hard time. And my partner, Chad, he always listens to the rerun of Open Line and it drives me absolutely nuts. I hate it. (laughs) But after Open Line was over, um, someone was interviewing this, this man who had gone through drug addiction and he was now doing life coaching and he was reaching out to people who had gone through addictions to help them uh, put their life on a track that they were interested in having. Um, and he said so casually, just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. Ooh, say that again. And just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. And how many things in our life through people getting divorced or losing their homes or experiencing sexual assault or growing up in a difficult house. And it's so easy, myself included, to say, 
oh, well, you know, this is what happened to me. And now I'm just stuck with it. And it's like, you can be stuck with it. And I could be in a darker place with my trauma. And I recognize that I've been privileged to work on that for many reasons. But it is my responsibility. It is my life to put myself in a place where I am pleased and happy and thankful. And I am the only person who can do it. Oh, there's so much truth, truth to that. And oh, that that is a good one. And it's and it really is true. It's a hard true <laughs> because we have to take that ownership and realize that we're the only one that can fix it. And I remember in my dark days, um, I went to see Tony Robbins and he said a quote to me that I carry with me that's similar. And it's life happens for you, not to you. And I'm like, okay, so when things hit the fan and I've had a lot of hardships too, um, I remember that and I'm like, okay, like this is not happening. And I know that's hard to to digest. I I am aware of that. And I don't usually step into that feeling right away. I allow myself to feel the emotions, but then it's like, okay, Gina, it's go time. It's time to pick yourself up and you're the only one that can do it. And it's such a big lesson. So thank you for sharing that. That's that's a deep one. Um, And really, a good inner compass to guide how we move through the hard times, I think. Yeah. And for me at that time, it was, I was feeling a lot of self-pity and thinking like, why is this happening to me? Oh, woe is me. And it's like, well, first of all, you're not even the one who's sick. So, you know, you are being called to help people in your life, but also you are being called to action. And what are you going to do at this moment? What, what can you do at this moment to uh, look for your future? And what, what is this all going to mean? Um, yeah. What does this mean for the people that you love? So I, I think of that quote so often when I am um, setting goals or just recognizing situations that I'm in, even with work or social situations. I love that. And before we do dive into the rapid fire questions, I have one more question. Um, and I wasn't going to ask it at first, but we can take this out if it's a question that's inappropriate. Did you ever get closure around your sexual assault? Um, as far as like legal action or anything like that. Um, no, unfortunately not. Um, one thing I will say is that when I did tell my brother, um, one of the first things, my first things my brother did was he reached out to a friend of his who is um, a police officer and just asked for advice. What, what could I provide with information? Um, I was emotionally not in any position to relive my experiences or have my personal life um, ripped apart on stands to justify any actions by anyone. So I was not interested in that. Um, But I was able to speak to the sexual assault um, police officer that was on. And I don't know the exact name of the team, but I was actually able to text and then call an officer, a female officer, and um, I was able to file an anonymous complaint, basically. And they took every detail that I was able to provide, including um, the company, the simple, strange identifying details that I had that were very specific. Um, And they were able to put those into a file. And hopefully that in the future, those identifying details could work to confirm something for somebody else. But because of the time frame and everything, I was not able to have legal um, action or closure in that way. But 
even though part of me wonders if maybe I would be able to save somebody else from that circumstance, I am not confident that it would have changed my journey at all, uh, especially for the better, um, which may sound selfish, but I don't identify with legal closure, um, with validity for survivor situations at all. So I'm, I now volunteer and help out in other ways that I, that is kind of bringing me to a place of closure. And also I don't write in taxi cabs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, Ooh, there, there's a lot, my gosh, like there's so much to unpack there in itself. Um, and do you have any words of wisdom for women who might be, you know, getting in cabs alone or doing things alone? Like, do you have any advice for, for women, I guess, keeping themselves safe. And on the other side, is there any advice that you would give if somebody maybe just experienced a sexual assault? I don't know if that's going too deep. Um, I grew up in St. John's. I've lived in the city almost my entire life, minus that small blip in Donovan. <laughs> I was the girl who, you know, left her friends and walked to get a boozy poutine by myself at three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, I don't do that anymore. I don't run with headphones anymore. I call my dad when I'm driving alone until I get to my location. You know, I have people who help me now. And part of that is part of my journey with PTSD as well. It's, you know, it's a affair that kind of lives in me now. And I don't want other people to necessarily have to feel that fair so constantly like I do. But also I think it's important to be smart. Maybe if I didn't get in that front seat of that taxi cab at 4 a.m., this wouldn't have happened. You know, stay on the phone with your friends, ride with a friend. Don't let a friend go by themselves. It has nothing to do with my clothes. It has nothing to do with my actions. I recognize that it was uh, his issue that this happened, but it's also valuable to put yourself in safe situations that maybe it wouldn't have happened. Um, and, and I do think about that sometimes. If I had sat in the back, would this have happened? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it would have. I'm not sure. But that's something just to think about. Just take care of each other. And my one of my best friend, Lisa, her mom, who's passed away, cried out. When we used to leave to go out and hang out with each other, we'd be partying and we were young, you know, drinking too young in sheds places like everyone does. <laughs> um, she used to just say she'd hang her head out the window and she would say, Take care of each other, girls. And I think that that's important. You just take care of your friends and look out for your friends um, when you're out. And for somebody who maybe is just going through this trauma. And um, one thing I will say is sexual assault comes in many different forms. Your assault is not more or less valid depending on the degree or type. It's still painful and it still hurts. And I would just urge anyone to find an ear, whether it is a professional, whether it's at doorways, whether it's a friend or family, and just vocalize that so that you have an opportunity when you are having a bad day to, without very many words, tell somebody so that they can keep you safe and that you are so valuable and worth that care. And your life has, your life is worth living, which is really important, I think, after you experience that. 
Oh, such beautiful words. And we'll put all those links in the show notes for easy access for anybody. Um, I have to be completely honest as you're saying these things. And as I ask that question of what can we as women do, it infuriates me. Like I'm, I'm angry that I had to ask that question, that mm-hmm. I felt like that was a question that our listeners could use. I'm angry at the fact that this is happening in the world and without, I don't want to make this about me, but I had something happen to me, which I've never shared publicly, by the way. Um, and it, and I won't go into it, but I, I remember a turning point when I, it was it happened in grade 10 and I, my, if my family's listening, they have probably have no idea what I'm talking about. And I didn't even tell any of my friends, legit, this is probably the first that I'm saying, and something happened to me in grade 10. And I made a promise to myself that I would never let another, and I'm going to use man because at the time this is, you know, another man hurt me physically. And that's why I joined martial arts. And that's why I vowed that I would be able to protect myself. Um, And then the other piece after that is even though when I had that, something else had happened to me while I had that, and I didn't even protect myself when I could. And it just, you know, just talking about it, I didn't realize that this would come up. I don't even think it even registered that I would even think about this today, but it's just so infuriating that this happens to people and people have to pick up the pieces. And when you talk about your PTSD, I have still have some of my own and it's, it's something that doesn't go away and it's something that you have to work through. And I feel sometimes people don't understand. So from a perspective of somebody who loves you deeply and might not know what you're going through. And when you're being triggered, how can somebody best support someone they love who may not be able to vocalize what's happened? Because as we both know, that's not an easy task. No. And um, I just want to like say before I answer that question that like even you having martial arts experience, you know, when you're in a situation like that, your brain is in a survival mode. And often that's not how your survival presents. And you can't blame yourself for that, for not having the pushback Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. So I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Thank you. Um, And to someone else, sorry, can you say the question again? Sorry, I don't even know what my question was now. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I like, I so got into that emotionally and I couldn't get out of it. I wasn't expecting all these tears today. Um, My question was, how can we best support somebody who might be going through, you don't even need to know what it is really, but if you know that something has clearly happened um, or someone's not able to talk about it, like you said to Chad, like when you're having a bad day, you say you have a bad day and he knows what, how to support you. But for somebody who might not have had that conversation with someone that they love, how can you best support somebody who's on their own journey of recovery and even PTSD? I think that uh, first and foremost, that, I know I personally, and I know other survivors that I've spoken to don't expect that their loved ones or their supporters will know what to say. It's Mm -hmm. okay to not know what to say. And I think it's also okay to be open and say that I'm not sure how to best serve you and support you right now. What, what can I do? And I know, um, I don't know very much about it, but people always are talking about love languages and how they receive love and give love best. And 
sometimes the way maybe Chad would provide me with comfort is the way he likes to receive comfort. Yes. And, you know, we've had conversations about that and how I best like to be supported. But I think that supporting a survivor with even how you like to be supported is such an opening for a conversation and a beautiful gift. Sometimes when I'm having a bad day, it's nothing for me to look out in my order box for my pickups and there's cookies from my friend Chelsea. Or there's a special note from my brother just saying, I love you, you can call me anytime you need. But I think it's it's good to just just give to people. How do you like to be loved? How do you like to be tended on when you're unwell? And that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's, you know, I'm not nauseous, but I am unwell. Yeah. And I'm not having a good day. So just take care of people in the best way that you have. And if you're not sure how to, just verbalize that, I think. Because even saying, I, I don't know what to do is still a way of wrapping somebody in a hug because it's still saying, you know, I'm thinking about you. I just don't know how to be there. And that, like you say, that invites a conversation that can be so growth oriented and support oriented where both of you just end up walking away feeling way better. So Oh, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Like I'm looking at the time and I know we've been on an hour <laughs> and it's like, I want to keep going. There's just so many more questions that I want to ask you that I, you, you know, you're just an incredible woman. So thank you. But we talked a lot, a lot of deep stuff. So I think it's time to have some fun. Okay. <laughs> so the way that we end all of the podcasts is we do rapid fire questions. Um, and I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions, whatever comes to your mind first. Uh, there are some that are a little bit longer that's going to require you to actually think but most of them are pretty spot on there is one question that i'm really curious to see if you know the answer to (laughs) if you listen to the podcast you know that there's one question that there's a lot of people that don't answer and it surprises me so we'll get there (laughs) are you ready i am ready (laughs) okay here we go who is your favorite spice girl oh mel b nachos or tacos nachos a nickname you used to have or still have? Oh, banana or Anna Banana. I love that. If you could travel back in time, where would you go? Uh, I would love to just go back and spend more time with my great grandmother, Anna, who is my namesake when she was young. She seemed so sneaky and wise. I'd love to go back to her sneakier phase when she was younger. <laughs> I'm named after my grandmother, too. Oh, I love that. Oh. Um, okay, here it is. Who's your favorite Harry Potter character? Um, I mean, I guess Hermione, but Oh, you I can answer say... it. First of all, you answered it. Most people don't know <laughs> Harry Potter. Oh, thank well, God. Well, I feel like I grew up with Harry Potter. I remember being in grade five and my teacher just like reading this book, this new book that was all the rage and just being like, whatever, Harry Potter. But it was like, it was Harry Potter. <laughs> Right. Okay. Okay. Now I know we're soul sisters for sure. (laughs) Um, Sunrise or sunset? Mm, I feel like I'm more likely to be found with the sunset, but my soul likes the sunrise. I love it. I I can't pick. I, that question, if somebody asked me, I'm like, "Mm, I can't can't pick. (laughs) Um, Actually a fun story. At one point, uh, Dwayne and I, we live on the West coast of um, from Port of Ass. So one day we got up here and watched the sun rise at Cape Spear and drove right to the other, other end of the Island and watched the sunset. And it was like, still one of my, yeah, I loved it. 10 hours later, (laughs) but we made it. Um, What is your favorite word? 
That's a hard one. Oh, I always like the word intangible. And uh, in craft, we always talk about intangible culture and heritage. And I feel like that has so much meaning. And uh, when people know what it means, uh, it really brings a lot of things for them. I love that. And what's your go-to favorite order from your favorite restaurant? Um, My favorite restaurant is Quintana's in Churchill Square. It's an absolute... It's a go-to for me and Chad. Um, and I love their taco pie. I've so never had that ta- pie. Never had it's, it. Uh, it's like the small corn tortillas and it's layered with all the like taco toppings. It's so good. Yeah, oh, it's the best. I usually get the trio, like the Mexican trio where you get to try mm-hmm. all the things, but you get all the things in a pie. I'm going to have to try yeah, that. It's so good. <laughs> What is your go-to song if you need like a pump me up and you're having a down day? September by Earth, Wind and Fire. September by Earth, Wind and Fire is my theme song. And I think that the people in my life would be able to answer that question for you as well. It is on my Spotify's most play every year since I have Spotify. It is my pump up. It is everything. It's such a good song. How does it go? Do you remember? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I can guarantee you that if you go to a wedding and if that's your the request, yeah, go to the dance floor every single time. That is a good sign. I was thinking like, wake me up when September ends, but that's not even close. No, that's so sad. <laughs> Such a sad song. It's like, how do you get pumped up with that one? That's why I had to ask. <laughs> how does it go? <laughs> I have a tendency to make up my own lyrics, so I had to make sure I knew. If you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? Um, I would say that Chad would say that it was for carrying shopping bags in one hand and a coffee and opening the door for a long period of time, like a long distance. But I have have always been mesmerized by the trampoline events. I would love to be able to do the trampoline events, but I would place gold in the shopping bag and coffee juggling event. I love it. I actually have a mini trampoline in my basement. And sometimes I pretend like I'm like giving her and doing all the things. I'm, I'm not very good, but it's really fun. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, like healing, like a healing touch, because I don't want to read people's minds. I don't want to fall. That sounds like earth to fly. sounds like something I would hurt myself with, but healing touch would be so good. I would like to fly because I don't want to wait on planes. Like I just want to be there, but healing would definitely be a second for me. Um, Texting or talking? Um, Well, texting, except my best, mostly I call people, but my best friend uh, Kira lives in Arizona and we basically only communicate by WhatsApp voice memo. Uh, which is the best thing because it's like texting or a call, but both of us are crazy busy. She's four and a half hours away. And it just provides me with her voice and her tone, but without the pressure to get back right away. I'm shaking my head because my friend and I, Leslie, do the exact same thing, but with Boxer. And when she moved to BC, we really struggled with how to maintain our friendship because Mm -hmm. like you say, four and a half hours away. So we were like, let's just try this Boxer thing because I use that with my one on one clients. It has been a game changer. And once again, you get tone, you get text, you get laughter. Oh, I totally get it. So amazing. Um, I think I already know this question, but morning or night person. 
I'm a night person. And actually on my bed, me and Chad have pillow cushions and one is a moon and one is a sun. And the sun is on his side and the moon is on my side. I love <laughs> because that. Because he is an early bird and loves going to work and I am not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, describe yourself in three words. Uh, bright, fun, and hardworking. Love it. If you were stranded on a tropical island and you had all of the essentials, what are two things that you would want to take with you? Uh, probably some painting supplies. Yep. And um, I think my bear. I have this bear that my Uncle Jerry gave me when I was born at the hospital and he just kind of hangs out with me. And sometimes when I go camping, I know I'm a 30 year old adult, but I used to go, I sometimes go camping alone and I always take bear with me. I love that. I have a story with a bear as well. I'm just shaking my head at some of the things that you're saying. I'm like, okay, we need to go for a coffee. Um, I guess really, really, I would take Chad. Chad would be my thing because he's so much better at me, better than me at things that I'm not good at. Yeah, I think I'd take my husband too, maybe. My husband and my dog, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Jump from a plane. If you were really hungry, would you eat a bug? Totally. I have eaten bugs before. (laughs) And would you rather speak every language in the world or be able to speak to animals? Every language. I love it. And usually I ask like, what is the best piece of advice that you have to offer? But you've already done that. But is there any other like last gold nugget that you would like to share? Well, later, I, at some point, I, I don't think I've spoken about Yellow Rose once. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to get to do your plug, but maybe this okay. is a great time okay. to talk about Yellow Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I will just say, I just was thinking about that. I was like, I don't even think I have said Yellow Rose yet, like the term. <laughs> So tell us about Yellow Rose. I want to do it next, but you go, 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 go. Um, so I own a hand dyed and block printed clothing brand. I currently have a small, what I'm calling a micro store in Posey Row Co. on Dufford Street in St. John's. And this May, I'm about to quadruple my retail space and open a much bigger store in Posey Row is very exciting but I have an online shop and basically all the things I learned when I was in the textile studies program about making prints and hand dyeing fabrics is what I've put into my business and I make things that are size small to 4xl not a completely inclusive sizing line but the best I can do at this time and working on something a bit bigger Um, and I just make clothes that's fun and comfortable and easy to wear And I feel like Yellow Rose is an extension of me and silliness and confidence. And that's what I want to instill in my customers. And I want them to feel in my business. And your work is incredible. Do yourself a favor, guys, and go down and find her store and go buy yourself some treats down there. (laughs) Um, The other thing, too, is that I want you to be able to follow Anna, obviously. So even though she's already told you her physical physical location and we're going to put her handles in the show notes as well. But where can people follow you and get your light and your confidence and everything that you bring to the world? How can people follow you? So the best way to follow my personal life journey and 
silly fashion choices would be on my Instagram, which I post daily. And that's um, murphyanna016 on Instagram. And you can also find Yellow Rose on Facebook and Instagram at Yellow Rose Made, M-A-D-E. And I'm always posting on there as well. Amazing. And I can't thank you enough for being on the show and just sharing your story so bravely and just giving women hope that there is happiness past the hard times and just unapologetically being themselves. So thank you for being you and for being here. Thank you so much. And thank you, friends, for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And the other thing, too, is Anna's offering 20% off your next order. And all you have to do is use the code thank you. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. So go to yellowrosemade.ca. Go buy yourself some goodies. Use the code and support Anna and all of her amazingness. This is Gina Keeping. Thanks for listening to another episode. And remember, keep it fun, keep it kind, and always keep it real.